Welcome to Jesus Has Left the Building, where we talk with people leading creative, outside the box, I mean outside the church building, ministries that inspire and engage us. Our third season, recorded during Lent 2021, connects our desire to follow Jesus outside the church building and the recognition that Lent is an invitation to quiet our minds and hearts. Our guests share how they find nourishment as they build God's kingdom. This is the Jesus Has Left the Building podcast, where ministers, people of faith, activists, and church leaders have left the building too, with Marta and Mandy. Today, we are joined by our amazing friend, Captain Olivia Stalick. She's an active duty army officer, currently serving as the physical therapist for a brigade combat team at Fort Carson. She's a graduate of West Point and the Ranger School, a former infantry platoon leader, and a veteran of the war in Afghanistan. She's also a proud transgender woman. In February 2019, she testified about her experiences as a transgender woman in the Army before the House Armed Services Subcommittee on Military Personnel. She has since continued to advocate for her trans military peers, as well as conduct education and advocacy for the LGBTQ community locally and around the country. Olivia shares her own stories of social action and contemplation and rest in this episode. She also gives us a practical guide to trans etiquette. Let's dig in. So in the spirit of prophet and mystic or spirituality and social action or the inward journey and the outward reach we asked you here today because we know that you have a story to tell about justice and advocating but you might also have something to say about contemplation and prayer. And we also know that the work of Jesus in action and rest are both important. Sometimes Jesus needs to leave the building to go to the other side of the lake by himself or up the mountain to the hillside. He dismisses the crowds or sends the multitude away. Often, he was alone and simply prayed by himself. In some ways, we must begin with ourselves before we birth something new outside of ourselves. Lent is a time of planting seeds. We want to hear about your seeds of devotion. For those of us and all of you out there who are listening, Olivia has had many conversations with Mandy and me and the church community. She is a part of our little church in northern El Paso County, Colorado Springs. But I invited her to this season because I think her work in the world is important. And mostly it's not specifically, at least the way I see it, others might see it differently, but it's not all the way about the advocacy that she does within institutions or organizations, but it's, I mean, those are important things, but it's more of the life she chooses to live, which to me is advocacy in itself. There are a couple of things that I love about our friendship, Olivia, in being exactly who you are, which you're really good at, um, it allows the rest of us to be truly who we are, which is imperfect and vulnerable and very human, 
all of the good and the bad that comes with being human and somehow you still love us. There is a lot that I have learned about the trans community through our friendship and I want to share some of those things with everybody else. But before we start, I first want to, I first want to talk about the paper cut. I know she's going to be so mad and she <laughs> wants to laugh so hard right now, which you can, you can laugh. You can laugh really hard right now. Um, <laughs> um, I will forever remember you talking about this idea of the paper cut and that I have caused in, in you possibly or in others. But one time um, I might've messed up with a pronoun or two at some time and I was devastated by this. Um, I was really sad and I was really upset. And so, but because of who Olivia is, I could just call her up and talk to her about it. And she's like, it's fine, it's okay. Don't worry about it. In like the most loving way. And then she's like, listen, it's just like, it's like the pain of like a paper cut. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I made you feel like you had a paper cut. Um, so some of us might call this paper cut, you know, we, we use a more academic word like microaggressions. They're these little itty bitty um, aggressions against someone else that it's not huge. It's sometimes subtle. Sometimes um, you're aware of it. Sometimes you're not. Um, but they feel like a little paper cut. So I wanted to I wanted to share that language with all of you out there. And then the other thing before we get into Martin, why I think the point of the paper cut is that it stings, but it goes away quickly. It's not a thing that lasts. I could have just as easily said it's like hitting your funny bone. Right? It's but that kind of hurts too. It does hurt, but it goes away quickly. It's not this lasting, damaging thing. Like you don't think about a paper cut 10 seconds later, like it's done. Right. So what I'm trying to really explain is A, that I'm not perfect in this conversation and B, that there is some um, nice metaphors out there um, as we learn how to be in better relationship. So the other, other one was, is that I made a mistake um, with another transhuman and I was devastated by that too and was called ignorant. And like, it really took me a couple of days to get over this, right? But um, because of who Olivia is, I called her up and was able to have a conversation with her. And lo and behold, she did tell me I was ignorant also. Um, <laughs> I know you did, but it's super great, right? It's super great that I have someone that I can be in this deep of relationship with and that you can just put it out there and it can sink in and I can grow and I can learn from it, which is exactly why I wanted to um, bring you here to tell your story and to offer some trans etiquette 101. Yeah. So Olivia, do you want to start with that? Um, you know, some, some things that you think that we 
need to know so that we are not um, getting, giving, giving people paper cuts over and over again. Um, because that, you know, that one goes, that pain goes away. Um, but it's, it has to be a learning moment, right? Um, or else we keep doing that. And that is obviously not healthy for anyone. Yeah. So in, in preparing for this, I, um, one of the things that's important to say is that uh, everybody's experience of being trans is different. And so um, anytime you embark on this and you're saying, you know, you're speaking for a group of people, really I'm speaking for myself, um, not for the trans community as a whole. Um, but I did solicit some feedback from a group of trans friends about this. Like, hey, if I were to be doing a, a a trans etiquette 101 thing, what are the things that you guys might include to see if there was anything that wasn't something I would have thought of and, and people phrased things differently than I might. And it was good, it was good to read that. Um, and also to recognize that I'm a, you know, a white trans woman who's also a lesbian. And so that's a particular slice or a particular angle of this. And so people in different slices of that um, or with different identities might have different things that go in here. This is just the window into the trans community that I have because of who I am. Um, so with all of that said, there's a few things that I think, um, like Marta asked me, the few things that you can probably hang your hat on that are, are pretty standard across the community. Um, so we'll talk about some terminology basics, um, some things that you should do and some things that you shouldn't do. Um, so I love it. Yeah. So we use the word transgender. We don't use the words transgenders or transgendered or transvestite or transsexual. Transsexual has uh, maybe a generational word. Um, you may meet some older trans people who identify that way because of the words that psychologists used, you know, 30, 20, 30, 40 years ago. But most people people I would say under the age of probably 40, 45 aren't going to use that word. Um, it just doesn't have meaning in, in the trans community today, generally speaking. Um, and then we talk about people, they're trans or transgender people, not transgenders, like transgenders is not a noun um, that we use. Um, when you're talking about specific identities within the trans communi community, a trans man is uh, equivalent to, in some senses, or other words that we could use to talk about this. So a trans man, someone who is female to male, who's transitioned from female to male, someone who's assigned female at birth, you'll often see that abbreviated A-F-A-B, um, that's a man. Th that person's pronouns are likely, but not always, he, him, and his. Um, a trans woman is someone uh, who's transitioned from male to female, someone who is assigned male at birth, you'll see that abbreviated AMAB, um, that person is a woman and typically um, or most commonly probably uses the pronouns she, her, and hers. There are people who fall outside of the gender binary, um, obviously within the trans community and there are plenty of different words that people might use to describe themselves non-binary NB can be abbreviated ENBY. Some people use that as like a word to say NB, not non-binary. Um, same people might use gender fluid or gender queer. And there's lots of different things. And those 
mean something to the people who use them and they might mean something specific and they might have their own pronouns. Um, often non-binary people will use the pronouns they, them, and theirs, but really that's like a, a group of people that I don't speak for because that identity isn't mine. That's just how I've experienced relationship with those people. Um, and then I hesitated about including this, but intersex people may or may not identify as trans, as part of the trans community. Some do and some don't, but intersex people are people born with any of a bunch of different vari variations in sex characteristics to include chromosomes, um, hormones, genitals that may or may not fit the stereotypical medical definition of male or female. Um, and that's, that's something that happens to people, that people are born that way. And they may or may not ever identify as part of the trans community, but um, certainly some of them do specifically identify as part of the trans community. So that's, that's kind of your basic 101 terminology. So things that we don't do, things that you shouldn't do when you're talking to trans people. Don't so we won't get a paper clip. Right, I so mean, a paper cut. No paper clips, no paper cuts. <laughs> don't ask about surgeries. Right. Um, and really kind of the caveat to all of this or, or the kind of bottom line is if you wouldn't want somebody to ask you this question in public, maybe don't ask them that question. Um, don't ask if their families are, are okay with us, right? Like, are, is my family okay with me? The, don't necessarily ask that. Like, you know, if you tell me that you got divorced and I'm like, well, how does your family feel about that? Like, you're gonna be like, what? That's not, it's not an appropriate question. Um, don't ask what our old real dead names are. Those aren't the names we use. Those aren't our names. Um, don't ask us what our biological or real sex is. We are our real sex. Um, so those are kind of your don'ts. And then the things that you should do, if you're not sure about somebody's pronouns, it's okay to ask. Like you asking that question says, I recognize that I might be wrong or that my inherent assumptions about this might be wrong. And so I care enough about you and how you feel that I'm going to take the time to ask this question. Um, it is always okay. It can feel weird to do that, um, but it is always okay to ask. And then once you find out what somebody's pronouns are, use them. Um, and if you mess up, apologize briefly and move on. You don't have to draw any attention to it. It's not, um, I don't want to say it's not a big deal, but it's just recognize it, say it, and then move on. Like there's no benefit to dwelling on it or making this big, like, I'm so sorry and da da da. Like, it's okay, just move on and do your best not to do it again. Um, so that's that's kind of the the basics. And I would say the other thing that you can do is in professional settings or in public settings, start to normalize introducing yourself with your pronouns because it normalizes it for anybody else. I can't tell you how significant that has been when I've been in a public group and somebody in that group introducing themselves has chosen to do that, um, especially somebody who I know is not trans, choosing to do that to make it safe and normal for me to do that as well for people who might make incorrect assumptions about my gender. That's actually awesome. Um, that last piece that you said about pronouns. Um, 
I just had never thought about it in quite that way, but that is really, really helpful. What I will say about Olivia is that she has been my first, like, you know, friend that I'm actually really friends with. Um, I mean, you know, I have lots of friends, but, um, and, and so it's almost like it's been the hardest to, you know, because you were like, ask me all the questions. I was. I know. And so I think that, yes, I love these tips that you have laid out. It is very specific, specific probably to individuals. And Olivia has been remarkably gracious and open and loving. And um, what I will say is that's been kind of amazing for me um, in learning more about it. Um, but but yeah, like, you know, I, you can't do that with everybody. So you either have to be in relationship with someone and it's the safety of that relationship, right? Um, or you just don't. Yeah, well, that's, and I think that's, that's the thing that you identify that's important. One of, one of the comments when I talked to some folks about what I should say was, treat me like a person, not like an identity, right? Mm -hmm. And so in a relationship, when you are people, then some of these questions become matter of course, right? Like mm -hmm. in the course of friendship, somebody's going to say to you, this is what I'm going through, right? Like my family is not super accepting and this is deeply problematic for me when you are friends with someone or, um, you know, whatever, the, or my family has been amazing or I am going to have a surgery or I just started a new medication, just like you might tell your friends about things that are going on in your mm -hmm. life. When you have that relationship, you're not asking about the person's transness, you're asking about their life. Mm. Outside of the context of a relationship, it's now I'm asking about your transness. Um, if somebody has not told you they are trans um, and there is not some public record, uh, you know, like my life is there, there is public record of me being trans um, in, in a pretty dramatic way. Um, and so it would be reasonable to uh, make that assumption or to address that or, you know, like my life is public in a way that I've made that potentially a topic of conversation. But you might know something about somebody that they don't know that you know. Um, and if they haven't come out to you as trans, then that's not for you to address or to act on or to identify like that person is just who they are, right? They're, they are a, you know, man, woman, non-binary person um, until they come out to you as a trans person, uh, regardless of what you happen to know from some other source. Um, just that's because there are, you know, especially in smaller communities, there are ways that sometimes you'll know things that somebody doesn't know that you know, and that becomes more problematic. Um, and that doesn't mean you can't create space for people, but just be careful about how you're doing that. And if you're drawing attention unnecessarily to somebody in a way that might be uncomfortable for them. Um, yeah, I think that that's super duper important. Um, what would be your biggest pet peeve? About out of out about all those lists, what would be the one that like mm, just gets you the most? I mean, I'm probably a pretty significant outlier because my life is so public. Um, 
But I think, I think when people don't take the time to do some of their own learning is when it's really difficult for me. Like, it's like we talk about where, like, I need to educate myself about white supremacy and racism. Like, I'm not going to ask people of color or black people to explain that to me. That's my job to do the work. And it's the same thing I think with this where like in interpersonal relationships, like you and I are friends. And so we're gonna have these conversations, but like, and I do a bunch of advocacy work, but like the general public, like do some of the work on your own. You don't have to do all of the work, but do some of the work on your own. Um, I think that's kind of where I am. Um, so Olivia, you have a very public life. You have even testified before Congress, which is kind of a big deal. Um, first of all, can you tell us about that experience, about your experiences in this sort of public role of advocacy? And then we're just aware, you know, that not all trans people want to be public. Um, and obviously, like we were talking about in the etiquette, um, it's, it's a very personal thing. You don't speak for everyone. But we want to know, like, what does it mean to live this very public um, and out, so to speak, life as a trans person? Yeah. So my public life happened pretty much by accident. I mean, that's not entirely true. I offered to, to join the bench of trans military folks who were willing to kind of do media, as it were, to kind of be a little bit more public. Um, and I happened to say that in a particular time and space that it caused, it, 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 there was just kind of a media firestorm uh, in the six weeks after I got back from my deployment. Um, and that isn't always true, right? The media, the news cycle is very short, but because of the Supreme Court cases and then our testimony to Congress and then the passing of the ban, there was this several month period where it was a recurrent topic in the news. And so um, I ended up being a lot more public, a lot faster than I expected I would be. Um, and there have been some interesting consequences to that that I didn't you know, like you just don't know until it happens and then all of a sudden it has happened. And then you're like, oh, okay, that's how this is. Um, but I mean, it was a whole big thing and it still is. Um, and I mean, we can talk about specifically my experience at Congress if that's, if you wanna do that. But I think, you know, you mentioned not everybody wants to be public and I am a fierce, fear. I fiercely believe that that is absolutely everybody's own decision, right? Like it is absolutely, and, and not just for trans people, for everybody, you have the right to a private life, right? Like you don't have to tell all the things. You don't have to tell anything you don't want to. Um, and I think the same thing applies to trans people. I have friends who are, um, you know, who have erased any kind of me, uh, public internet, presence of any of their, you know, life before transition, and they, um, they may or may not have any ties with people, but there's no record of them before transition, and that's how they move through the world. They don't openly identify as trans. Um, they identify as the sex that they are, 
And I think that's amazing for them. And I have friends who are wildly public like I am. Um, and, then, and then there's all the shades in between those two things where there's a little bit of publicity or you know, a few people know, or some people in community know, or there's a group that knows, right? So all of those things I think are fine and good and wonderful and we should all have those choices and, and, and people should respect those choices. Just like not everybody talks about having had miscarriages or having cancer or you know, any number of other big emotional events. Some people don't wanna talk about being divorced or having been divorced. There's all of these things that are deeply significant that might or might not be something that we want to share with anyone or with more than a handful of people. God, this, this piece of like, you, Olivia, cannot speak for your entire community is just like, this is what keeps coming back for me, right? Like you are a person and there are all kinds of other people and everyone gets to speak for themselves. And I think we, you know, just in our very black and white binary minds, we want to put people into boxes and yes. we, we just have to let go of the boxes, right? So the Jesus has left the building podcast is um, like, that's what we're trying to do with ministry, yes. right? Yes. We are trying to get out of the box of church ministry we're, we're outside of the box i mean outside of the church building right we That's need a trans motto. church you're right like we want to transform what it means to do church and so that's a like super important um theme that that really recurs in some of these conversations that we have um so in terms of the podcast, we're talking about activism and justice and peace and storytelling and prayer that are happening in the sanctuary, sure, when we can be in that space, but also happening outside of that sanctuary space, right? The normal space. So can you talk about like, what does that mean for you as a trans person in the army and an advocate for the queer community, like, what does that mean? What is your outside of the church building, outside of the army building, outside of the box? Well, so I actually think all of my ministry is outside of the church building, right? Like almost all of what I do with some notable exceptions, right? Like I have come and spoken at churches um, and at our church um, about this, but far and away, the work that I do um, is both professionally as a physical therapist and, and, you know, because of my life, I think primarily the, the work that I do for and with people is, is outside of the church. Um, so I think specifically I have, um, and kind of what I have tried to come to grips with is this, um, is the same thing that, you know, that you just said that outside of the box, right? Like, I have a, a narrow space where I am really, really effective, right? I have, and that space really is in the trans military community and I can be effective in other places, 
but I like that is the place where I can leverage all of everything that I have done and everything that I am in my life to affect change. And anywhere else, I can't leverage as much. I have to give up something. I don't have as much to use um, because I've spent my entire adult life being an army officer. And so I can use all of that as leverage and as, you know, you, I can use that privilege to drive change in that organization. And so um, really the last couple years has been, that that has been my work is, is advocating for and uh, for the folks who were not allowed to transition because of the current ban or the, the ban that we just repealed again. Um, and that, that looks like a lot of different things. One of one is it looks like, um, it looks like being there for people when they can't transition. And so who do you talk to, right? I mean, you can talk to your, your therapist, your social workers, your psychologist, but, um, and that's important, but they haven't been through it for the most part. Um, and so you need people um, and you need people who have lived your life both as a trans person and as a military person, right? Like there's a significant ability for me to leverage that um, and be there for those folks. And then it's also saying, I have the ability to reach out to people who are in charge of organizations in the army at a much, much higher level um, than a young soldier who is trying to go through this process or trying to survive this process. Um, I have a massive amount of privilege that I can leverage and essentially cold call people that would be unresponsive to many other people. Um, and I have just enough privilege to get away with it, basically. Um, I don't have a lot, but I have enough to get away with it. And, and taking that risk is, and it is a risk, but taking that risk is something that has so far been rewarded uh, for other people and for me, that, that being willing to do that has mattered. Um, so I think that's my primary, the thing that I'm doing outside the church. And then the second bit of it is, being more public about kind of like Marta said, just living my life and then, and talking to people. I'm, you know, all of the things that we said about don't ask all the questions before is a thing that I don't actually really do in my life, right? I let people ask all the questions. Um, and that is a very me specific thing. That is not a trans community thing. That is just a thing that I have chosen to do because I am so public because, um, because I think that matters to me. Um, there's it, inside, well, yeah, it matters um, a lot because I think that people are afraid of what we don't know. And so the more people know things, the less scary it is. And then the less they're likely to ask somebody else one of these questions that is really not relevant um, outside of a personal relationship. Um, and so if I can demystify and de-weird and make more familiar and you know all of that, I think it's better for everyone. Everybody gets more comfortable. It humanizes trans people. I mean, we are humans, but it humanizes us. Um, and I think that's really, really important. So here we are in the season of Lent. Um, and 
you know, Lent tends to be this time of contemplation, of, of waiting and um, going inward. Um, and we're also talking about our friend Roger's new book, Seeds of Devotion. So we're, we're curious, where are you finding seeds of devotion right now? What sustains you? Um, where do you find hope? What grounds you? Talk a little bit about that work that you do to kind of be able to do all of this super amazing work you do. There's so many things. Um, I think probably the most significant thing in my life is the people that, um, is my people, the people that I surround myself with, the people that, that show up, the people that are doing the work, that are doing this work in their communities, in their own ways, the people that are, um, that are pouring out their souls and their lives to make their communities better and just to, to be there for the marginalized and disenfranchised people. Those are, those are my people and watching them do their work um, inspires me and sustains me in continuing to do this, that like my little slice of the pie is mine to work on but seeing everybody else in their slice of the pie, like recognizing that I'm not the only one here doing this, that everybody else, or not everybody else, but that there are people um, who matter to me, who are doing this, this work in, a, in their little corner of the world. Um, I think that's probably the biggest, most significant thing to me um, that, that matters. And I mean, there's a million more things that, that matter, but that's, that's the biggest thing. I love how you, um, like how you really honed into that space of, um, advocating for the transgender community in the military and in the army. And, you know, like, you know, I know you do all these things, but when you just like really brought it into such focus for me in a way that um, I had not heard that story quite before. And, and even though it's, you know, your slice of the pie, it is like unbelievably profound um, in this time and space. And I just feel really honored to hear that story and to be friends with you because like, it sounds so awesome. Um, but um so I know that, you know, you need your people and your friends and you need to, you know, chat and verbally process and all of the stuff. And I, I feel like, you know, I can sometimes be one of those people. I can talk it up with the best of them, but, um, and, you know, having conversations with your people and, and even those, those people that um, you feel connected with can be in some ways a spiritual practice, but are there other practices that you do that are just Olivia that yeah, you would like absolutely. to share with the world during this Lenten season? Yeah, well, I just, I wanted to say one thing about the narrowing this thing that I do. I read this article, uh, one, of my, one of my classmates actually posted this article about um, the generation of firsts today and um, why, why it is that we do what we do. Um, and it really, 
it's it was particularly talking about women breaking barriers and being the first women in their respective fields to do the things um, and that they have this burden that like the people after them go into those fields knowing that they can make it. Um, and But in the generation of firsts, there was no guarantee. There was no, like they had to do it. And I am not by any means the first transgender person in the military. There have been people doing this for a long, long time. Um, and really over the past you know, eight to 10 years, there's been folks working specifically in the United States military to change policy and to do this. But, um, but that work isn't done and there's still, I think I am part of this generation of firsts. And so it's like one day the generation behind us won't have to worry. Like it's just gonna be fact that they can do this. Like there won't be a question, but right now there are still questions about whether it's possible. And so that's why this little slice matters, right? Like I'm certain that there's so many trans people out in the world doing amazing things and, and are their firsts in, in their fields potentially. But for me, it's this one specific thing. Um, but my faith practices, the things that are just me that are that are here in my home or in my space are, um, I mean, you laugh, but but the gym is is a spiritual practice for me, right? There's this, um, the drawing into my own body and my own soul and being fully embodied and present, right? That is that is a way that I am fully present and that I feel fully present. Um, when you're lifting weights, yeah, yeah. So I think that's so cool and I'm so all about it. Um, but most of us can't lift that level of weight. It doesn't matter. It's not about how much weight you lift. Okay. It's just about that's, and you don't have to have a spiritual practice of lifting weights. That's just for me, part of my church, um, right? Like, and also music is part of my part of my spiritual practice and reading and meditation and just holding on. What is um, a song that you can share? A song that I can share? <laughs> There's so many songs. Pick one. I mean, share, share with our listeners out there so they can go play it during their Lenten practices. Right now, I have been um, mildly obsessed with the Vitamin String Quartet, and uh, they are predominantly a cover band as a string quartet. And I think my two or three favorites that I've been listening to on repeat, I'll tell you, hold on. One of them is yellow, um, Coldplay's yellow, but it's uh, uh, by the Vitamin String Quartet. And then Third Eye Blind's Never Let You Go and Ava Max's Sweet But Psycho. Those are like my my three, because they're string quartet covers. They're amazing. Like this band is prolific and they play all of the bands. I wonder if Mandy would like them. To be determined. You know, for everybody who is, you know, hearing Olivia's story, 
you, she says, you know, it's this little slice of pie, but it like really takes a warrior to um, transform um, an institution like the military and the way that you're doing it. And so I just think it's phenomenal and I'm so excited you were able to actually tell that piece of the story in the space and that work that you're doing and, um, you know, want to hear more over time. What's happening? What's going on? What is that like? Um, but I'm glad you shared that piece of it today with us. I'm, I'm glad too. I'm glad for this opportunity. It's actually really fun. It is super fun, isn't it? We're yeah. super fun. Next week, we will hear from Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis, pastor of Middle Collegiate Church in New York City. She will share with us her seeds of devotion. We hope you join us again. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Find us on Facebook at Black Forest Community Church, United Church of Christ. And message us to learn how you can be a part of this effort to tell stories, have conversations, build relationships, and follow Jesus out of the church and into the world. To support our work, search for Black Forest Community Church on Venmo to make a one-time donation or a regular commitment with as little as $1 a month. You'll get regular communications and updates about our stories. Thank you to all those people that support and listen. We could not do this without you.